The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. I have a good friend back home, actually one of my best friends, who has a saying that he says all the time. He says, "Low expectations, high satisfaction." Think about that for a second. When you have low expectations, you're likely to have high satisfaction. This、uh, is very applicable when you go to the movies, right? If I go into a movie and I have really high expectations, I'm almost always going to be let down by something, right? This could also be true、uh, at concerts or when you go when you have your birthday, right? We always have high expectations for our birthdays, and then if it's a little bit of a letdown, it, it can be kind of disappointing, right? So, so my friend Lee lives by the expression. Low expectations, high satisfaction, and I found that actually it's very helpful to have that mindset as I go through life. Is that when I don't expect too much, I, it's rare that I'm disappointed. Well,、uh, I can illustrate this、um, uh, one time in my life, a personal story that was was very true. Was when I turned 16 in America. Uh, those of you from the U.S. will know that that's a big date in your life because you,、uh, if you're lucky, you can get a car, you can get a driver's license when you turn 16, and all, all of my friends were going to have a car. And but my parents had told me, you know what,、um, we, you you might not get a car actually, and if you do get one, it won't be fancy. So、uh, I had very low expectations. So my satisfaction was very high the day when my dad drove home in、uh, Kuzak. Check it out. A 1990 gold Toyota 4Runner. Oh my gosh! Look how cool I am in that picture. I got the, I got my backpack. I'm going to school, and my my car is made of solid gold. Man, that was so cool. But I had low expectations, and so、uh, when the car showed up, and my dad and my mom allowed me to drive it, I, I had a super high satisfaction. Well, the inverse of this principle is also true. So、uh, I, I want to tell you one other、uh, story about my life、uh, that was the inverse of this. It was when I had really high expectations, and、uh, maybe the result was not what I had、uh, an- anticipated. And that was uh, uh, on uh, my wedding night. Okay, so wh- <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've I've already had I've already had this story pre-approved. <laughs> Don't worry, moms and dads. Don't worry, moms and dads. This is an all ages appropriate story. Let me tell you what happened. I'll show you a picture. There, there we are at our beautiful wedding. We got married at kind of a Spanish style villa in Florida. It's Christmas time, but it's still 25 degrees. So you can see Ashlyn is in a beautiful dress, and we had an amazing wedding. All of our friends and family were there. You can could I go on to the next picture? And, and we had so much fun at our wedding, and it was time to go to、uh, our hotel for the wedding night. Well,、uh, those of you that are married will know there's a special kind of anticipation for the the wedding night. is a very、uh, it's very exciting, especially I think for many grooms and.、Um, Like myself, and and I had been so excited for this experience. We had booked the fanciest hotel in Orlando, the Ritz Carlton. All right, and we had gone to the hotel, and we go in, and the guy takes our bags up to the door, and I'm thinking this is about to be the most romantic evening of my whole life. I'm so excited, and the doorman comes in. There's rose petals on the floor and on the bed. Champagne is in an ice bucket in our room. I mean, this is going to be amazing. My expectations are here. And、um, we come in, and the guy drops our bags off, and I walk to the door with him, and、I'm, I got my tip. I'm ready to really bless him with five dollars, and so 
I, I turn to the guy, I go, here you go, sir, here's your tip, and he's uh, like, oh, okay, good, have, you know, have a great stay, and I'm like, we will, and uh, he's, he kind of winks at me, and I kind of wink at him, and we're like, yeah, all right, and so I close the door, and when I turn around, you won't believe what I see, is that in the 30 seconds that it's taken me to show the doorman out, Ashlyn has put on an old pair of sweatpants, an old t-shirt, she's climbed into bed, and is eating all of the chocolate strawberries that they have put in our room, and she has not left me any of them. (laughs) She's got chocolate on her face. Her hair is up in some kind of a crazy wedding hairdo. She's taken the uh, fake eyelashes that you wear in your wedding, and she put them on my pillow. (laughs) And I turn around, and this is what I see. And what she says to me is, hey, do you think they have Jurassic Park on TV tonight? And so my expectations quickly changed. I had never anticipated that on my wedding night uh, I would be joined by computer-generated dinosaurs. Um, But it makes sense because for the week leading up to the wedding, we had been so busy and we had been with so many people, and we had been sleeping like four hours a night, planning the party and hanging out with grandparents, and it was just nonstop. So of course, the minute we have a chance to relax, Ashlyn wants to put on sweats and watch Jurassic Park, okay? And so my expectations had to be adjusted. And today we're going to talk about a little bit of this, what we expect from life. And I've talked about uh, how low expectations can yield high satisfaction. I've talked about how too high satisfa- uh, uh, expectations can, can be disappointing. And then there's a third option that uh, I'd like to tell you about today. And that is that sometimes when you have no expectations, you have the most surprises. And sometimes... And sometimes that's one of the most special kinds of expectations you have. When you don't know something special, it's on its way. And yet the Lord blesses you with great satisfaction. So we're happy to announce to you all today as our church that we will have a little baby next summer or this summer. And so um, he's going to have a lot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So don't throw out any baby stuff, okay? Thank you. Um, But today we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at this idea of what has God given us in our hearts that we should have as a right expectation for our life on earth, or as Solomon says, under the sun, life here under the sun. Now, I promise there was a reason why I told those three personal stories. It's not just a chance for me to get up and brag about my... uh, Uh, my beautiful wife and the baby on the way. Um, There is a reason. And I think the reason I felt comfortable sharing those three stories with you today is that three events that I mentioned, you know, this coming of age, getting married, having a child, these are the kind of events that are easy for us to celebrate and get excited about and and put a lot of enthusiasm and hope into Um, But they are the kind of events that also you move past and you move on and you get back into the day-to-day of life. And sometimes those days are not as exciting as the ones on the special occasions. So today we're going to look in Ecclesiastes and we're going to find something that I think is very close to the heart of this idea about how to have right expectations for life under the sun 
Now, you're probably already familiar with much, uh, uh, many of the phrases or sayings from Ecclesiastes. There's many um, important quotes from this book. Uh, one is uh, that a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, uh, in chapter 4, Solomon writes that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And then probably the most famous passage in all of Ecclesiastes is, I have seen everything done under the sun, and behold, all of it is vanity and striving after the wind. And on the surface of Ecclesiastes, I think we can agree it's a little bit uh, depressing. Some of the things you read about in Ecclesiastes uh, can come across as cynical or pessimistic, and they can be a little bit of a downer. But I would like to try to introduce to you the idea today that beneath some of these cynical-sounding ideas are some very profound truths that are actually very uh, hopeful and that also give a lot of freedom to us. That although they seem harsh or blunt or, or brutal, that some of these truths that Solomon communicates to us can actually open up our lives for more joy and more satisfaction. So two things we'll do today. First of all, we'll look at a brief look at the context of Ecclesiastes. What is Ecclesiastes? What is the book? Why is it in the Bible? And, and why should we care? And then secondly, I'd like to look at um, one scripture from each of the 12 chapters that gives us a summary overview of the kind of realist um, wisdom that Solomon is offering us as listeners and readers. And you'll have a chance to read along. I hope that these two goals will be met and that you will leave today not seeing Ecclesiastes as a book of cynical, depressing, harsh realism, but that as something that is an encouragement to you and that helps you to live in the light of a realistic, godly expectation and that helps you live in better relationship with your fellow humans and with God. So let's jump right into it. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we're going to go quickly through it today, but before we do that, I just want to mention a few things about this book. Eric mentioned that we are in the middle of a sermon series where we are traveling through the Old Testament. We started in Genesis. We're on our way to Malachi. Uh, and right now we are in the, the section of the Old Testament called the Wisdom Books. And this uh, is a series of books that convey wisdom to readers and listeners about how to live. And the book of Ecclesiastes was probably written by Solomon. Uh, it may have been compiled after his life, but he identifies himself as the preacher or the gatherer. Uh, the Message Bible uh, identifies him as the quester, which is kind of a cool phrase. He's on a quest for wisdom. He is the quester. Um, he identifies himself as a son of David, as the king over Jerusalem, as a wealthy builder of the temple. So... The purpose of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, or the author, at the end of his life has gathered an entire lifetime of wisdom, and he's trying to put it into one compact book to give to others so that they might live better. And this is something that we see all the time in our world today. I mean, the internet is littered with the 10 best cleaning tips for your bathroom. The five best ways to use kale and not be grossed out, right? The 10 best places are the 10 most important things to see when you visit Mallorca. It's all over the place. And this is a little bit like Solomon saying, I'm going to take 12 chapters in this book in our modern Bible, and I'm going to give you 12 things to think about. 
all of them will help you have a right understanding of the world as it is and how to live in it. So he says this is his, his um, goal. He says, I've applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom of all that is done under the heaven. And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all of it is vanity. So that's Solomon's purpose. He's questing for knowledge. Ecclesiastes was written in the 9th century BC and it fits in with the other wisdom books in this way. Psalms is wisdom about how to pray. Proverbs is wisdom about how to live. Job is wisdom for how to suffer. Song of Songs is wisdom for how to love. And Ecclesiastes is wisdom for how to enjoy life as it really is. How to have right expectations. So, one thing that we must assume before we look at the scriptures itself is this, is that Solomon is not writing to a Greek audience. And what I mean by a Greek audience is he's writing to people who already believe in God. He's not trying to convince them that there's a God and a creator who made them. He's writing to Hebrew people who already believe that. So you won't see anything in Ecclesiastes uh, that we would call apologetics, where he's trying to convince you of a moral God that created men and women, because that's not his purpose. When you look at Greek literature, Greek philosophy starts from the idea that I have to figure out if there is a God. And once I figure that out, then I can figure out the morality. But the Ecclesiastes, as you might imagine, being a part of the Hebrew and Christian Bible, doesn't need to do that. It assumes that its listener believes in God already. But maybe if you today are at a place in your life where you're not so sure, maybe the writings of Solomon and Ecclesiastes will help you to take a step closer to the idea that there is a God who has your well-being in mind and who wants the best for you. So the idealist says there shouldn't be war, there shouldn't be famine, there shouldn't be disease, there shouldn't be sin and death. But Solomon is not going to do that. Solomon is going to describe the world as it really is. And we will see through looking at these scriptures, I think, that that is not in contrast to the hope that the Bible offers us. That just because there is sin and death and famine and disease and seemingly haphazard events in the human existence doesn't mean that God is not there. I hope this will encourage you in that way. One last note before we look at the scripture. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, you will see one word repeated over and over, depending on which Bible translation you read. That word is vanity. All right? Some Bibles will say meaninglessness. But in this instance, in Ecclesiastes, vanity is not the same as narcissism. Narcissism means you're obsessed with yourself. And we use vanity in English to also mean someone who can't walk out of the house unless they look perfect. And then as soon as they arrive at the party or at work or at church, they immediately go to the bathroom to make sure that they, look, they still look perfect, right? Vanity means you're obsessed with yourself or your appearance or uh, you're obsessed with something that is uh, superficial. But that's not what um, Solomon's, the word he's using here is not that word. It's a word that's more closely uh, linked to uh, vapor or breath. So instead of saying vanities of vanities, all is vanity, you could also replace it in English with vapor. All is vapor, all is fading away. So one of the translations might say vapor, some say breath, some say mist. So when you hear vanity in Ecclesiastes, keep in mind he's not talking about somebody who's self-obsessed. 
He's talking about things that are passing on, that are disintegrating or evaporating. That's what he means by vanity. So at this time, we are going to plunge into Ecclesiastes. And here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to try to, um, to dive into a deep theological explanation of all of these passages. We don't have time for that today. This is my goal for you and for myself. You know, as we have started to think about this uh, child that is going to be living in our house, this small baby that will look at me for advice and for wisdom and, you know, for food and all these things, I'm a little bit terrified, to be honest with you. And I know all the dads in the room are going, you should be. (laughs) But as I've been reading in Ecclesiastes the last two weeks, this has been on my mind. If my son was walking with me on the road, or sitting with me at the table, or in my workshop, or in my fields, or whatever, how would I pass wisdom onto him? Now, we don't know if it's a boy. I have my fingers crossed. But what I thought I would try to do today is, as we look at these 12 passages from Ecclesiastes, we're going to go very quickly. But I'm going to read the passage to you, and you can read along on the screen. And then I'd like to imagine how I might communicate that truth to my son or daughter. And I want you to imagine how might this same truth that Solomon has gathered influence yourself or someone that you love and care about. That could be an employee in your office. It could be a child in your home. It could be uh, a friend. But that's what I hope to do. So I'm not trying to be overly sentimental. I'm just trying to process the scripture and make it applicable into my own life. And I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. So we'll go through all 12 chapters very quickly. Eric says you have to have three points. I said, oh yeah, we have to have 12 today. Here we go. (laughs) Chapter one in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says this, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied of seeing and the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there will be nothing new under the sun. So I will try to teach my son that you are not so different from those people who lived long ago. You are not so different from those people who will live in the future. Your eyes and your ears can deceive you when you are tempted to adopt a new philosophy and throw out the things that you were raised to believe, remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Do not let your eyes and ears deceive you. In chapter 2, Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. In the next several verses, Solomon indulges in every appetite, in wine and in laughter, in great works and in accomplishments, in building, in buying male and female slaves, in gathering herds, and in the end he finds that it's all vapor. And so I will try to teach my son that the pleasures of the world will never satisfy your soul because your soul wants more than this world can offer you. In chapter 3, Solomon says this in his wisdom. I saw under the sun that there is in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. 
for there is a time for every matter and every work. I perceive that there is nothing better for men than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And so I will try to teach my son this. There will always be injustice in the world. Do not add to the injustice. Do as much good as you can. Stand up for the oppressed. Walk in righteousness. Take joy in your life. And in his time, God will judge all people. Chapter 4. Solomon says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. I will tell my son this. Life is difficult. There are many difficult places in life. But you were not made to struggle alone. You were made to help carry the burdens of others and to allow others the opportunity to help you carry your burdens. Be someone who lifts others up and let others lift you up as well. In chapter 5, Solomon says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. I will try to teach my son this. You will have many opportunities to cheat in life. But do not chase wealth. Instead, work hard and thank God for the abilities that you have. Then you will have pride in the work that you do, peace in your heart, and muscles in your arms. Chapter 6. Solomon says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite, for this is also vanity and striving after the wind. I will try to teach my son, there are some things you will want, but you cannot have. Look at the many gifts that God has already given to you. Think of his generosity. Be grateful for what you have and always thank God. In chapter 7, Solomon says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. I will try to teach my son, no one is perfect. No one is just one thing. We are all guilty of sin and we are all capable of doing great things. There will be many times in life when you do not know what to do, which path to take, which decision to make. In those times, turn to God and your parents and ask for wisdom. In chapter 8, Solomon says this, Keep the king's commands because of God's oath to the king. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for the king does whatever he pleases. 
For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to the king, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. I will try to tell my son that you will always have an authority above you. It will be a teacher. It will be a coach. It will be a boss. It will be a general. It will be a governor. Be respectful of the authorities over you. They may oppress you. They may do evil. You may disagree with them, but you should be known as someone full of respect and kindness. You, my son, should remember that Jesus is the king of kings. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. In chapter 9, Solomon says, There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. The hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Therefore, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, and enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. I will try to teach my son, someday you will die. There is no escape from death. You do not know when that day will come, but while you live, do good. Live with the joy of God in your heart and enjoy each day as a gift from Him. And when you find someone to love, love them completely because you do not know how long you will have them. In chapter 10, Solomon says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun as if it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in low places. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. I will try to teach my son life is not always fair. It may seem to you that life is never fair. And in your life you will witness fools who are successful. And you will see great men and you will see great women who are overlooked. But do not be too quick to judge. Not by appearances. Instead, look deeper than the surface, look for truth, and be kind to all. In chapter 11, Solomon says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bosom in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God that makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I will try to teach my son there is a lot of mystery in life. You will never understand all of it. Sometimes things will work out for you and sometimes they will not. Some days will be perfect, sunny Florida wedding days. And some days, well, will be January in Copenhagen. Some days will be unspeakably hard. So, while there is light, walk in the light. Live as wisely as you can. Trust in God who loves you and enjoy all of the gifts that he has given you. And finally, in chapter 12, Solomon says this. 
Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, because the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so I will try to teach my son this. There may come a time in life when life itself is a burden. There may be a period of suffering before death, but between now and then, before you are old and sick, before joy has left your bones, use these years that you have to remember the one who created you and who gives you so many blessings and gifts of pleasure. And then, when you do die as you, like all of us will, you will go to your Father in heaven in joy. Twelve chapters in Ecclesiastes. There are many, many other wise, profound sayings in the book. Many of them, I think, will touch your hearts in a deep place and stir you to, uh, to question and stir you to wonder and stir you to confusion or to dread or to any of these things that the book offers. But I challenge you to do this this week. Read two chapters from Ecclesiastes each day and see if the Lord does not speak to you and offer you a personal message of his own. You see, when we read Ecclesiastes, it's clear what the author is trying to take away from us. He's trying to take away the false expectation that in life, under the sun, we will find ultimate satisfaction. That's the big picture. That's the red thread that runs through all of Ecclesiastes. That under the sun, that phrase that Solomon uses so often, you will not find the satisfaction that your soul longs for. Solomon, consider Solomon himself. He was the son of David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. He was the builder of Israel's first and greatest temple in Jerusalem, the greatest architectural accomplishment of his generation. He was given a special measure of wisdom by God himself. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was the wealthiest man in his generation, and yet he found that all of it was vapor. Consider that. Perfect genealogy. Great accomplishments. Thousand women at his disposal. Wealth beyond our imaginations. And yet he found all of it to be vapor. So if you've ever imagined, if I could just reach this salary level, if I could just reach this attractive level of of partner, if I could just accomplish this goal through my career, then I will have arrived. Solomon's purpose in Ecclesiastes is to blow up that idea. You can't find the satisfaction your soul wants under the sun. What about us? What do we expect from our jobs? Will our work satisfy our soul's longing for purpose? Will our relationships satisfy our need for intimacy and affirmation? Do we expect that our personal philosophy or worldview will satisfy our heart's longing for truth? Don't we expect that uh, pleasure will fill in all the gaps 
on the places where we fall short uh, of our expectations. But I think if we're completely honest, if we were totally open, many of us would say we still don't feel, feel fulfilled. Those of you that are religious can still feel empty at times. Those of you who are still searching can feel empty at times. The whole point of Ecclesiastes is that you will always feel empty this side of heaven. You will always feel it. I will always feel a little bit of emptiness because I am not with the one who created me. I think if we were honest, most of us would agree with that. Solomon's answer to the question of human self-fulfillment was this. Stop trying to fulfill yourself. Instead, remember your creator, fear God, and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring everything into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. As I close today, I want to fast forward and leave Ecclesiastes behind for a minute. Because I said at the beginning, Ecclesiastes is a little dark, a little depressing. It can be a little cynical and a little... I noticed that as I started preaching, the sun went away too, which is a little unusual. Ecclesiastes can be a little bit hard to swallow. So this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to fast forward 900 years, nine centuries later, to Palestine, where Jesus Christ would come and live under the sun. And in doing so, he would bring together the dust of the earth. Solomon says, we're all just dust. Jesus would come to symbolize and he would come to be the combination of the dust of the earth and the divinity that lives above uh, our world. And his life, Jesus' life, his teaching and his passions have given men and women access to the very heart of God. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would known, have known my Father also. From now on, you do know the Father, and you have seen him because of Christ. You see, there is more than the vapor of, pass, of the passing of life. And Jesus invites us to experience a new kind of life, a life abundant that can only be known in him and through him. This is the promise of God to us through Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you that. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So, from the perspective of Jesus, the end of the matter, when all has been heard, is this. The soul's satisfaction cannot be found under the sun because it can only be found in the sun, in the Son of God, who is Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts, 
or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.